This month, the podcast is sponsored by Dame, the award-winning sustainable period products company. Dame's mission is to make periods positive, making sustainable options that are better for us and the planet. Dame launched the world's first reusable tampon applicator made with self-sanitizing technology and tampons that are 100% organic cotton, as well as toxin and plastic free. Because of this, 80% of Dame's customers have reported less irritation, less cramping and shorter and lighter periods after three cycles. But if tampons aren't your thing, then they've got you covered with their reusable pads, which are thinner, drier, softer and greener than any of the disposable options. What's crazy is 1.3 billion disposable tampon applicators are thrown away in the UK every year and a pack of single-use pads has up to four plastic bags worth of plastic in them. Dame's concept is so simple and it's high time we all do our bit to save the planet and use less plastic. Since launching their reusable applicator, Dame have avoided over 12 million single-use applicators being thrown away and counting. Beyond their products, Dame are also working hard to make the world a better place for those who bleed with body and mind empowerment, ending period shame through starting and normalizing conversations. So go and give them a follow on Instagram at Dame for Good to find out more. So if you're keen to give Dame's products a try, and we highly recommend that you do, then we've kindly been given a discount code for 25% off their products. Just head to www.wearedame.co and use code RECOS25. All details are in the show notes. Welcome to Book Recos Between the Pages. I'm Jess. And I'm Lauren. And we're the pals behind Book Recos. This is the podcast where we chat all things books and just about everything in between. And loads of amazing books have just come out in paperback or will be soon. So we thought it would be a good time to make sure that they are on your radar. Paperbacks are more affordable, lighter to carry in your bag. And we've got some amazing records for you today, including the love songs of W.E.B. Du Bois, We Are Not Like Them and Wish You Were Here. Lauren, it's July. Oh my goodness. We're over halfway through the year. Mental. And do you know what? Just saying July then reminded me of one of my favorite memes of Rylan when you know when he got through <laughs> on X Factor and he was talking to Nicole Scherzinger and he said, You're lying. And there's a great one that says, July. <laughs> I need to find that and put it on stories on this day. Couldn't <laughs> make a note. Anyway, how are you? Um, grand. How are you, Jess? I am a-okay. Yeah, I wish A-okay. the weather was better for July though. Yeah, that's why it is Julying. I was literally about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't believe that we haven't spoken about any of the books that we're going to talk about today on the podcast yet, considering we've loved them all. Wild, isn't it? And great timing that they're all just out in paperback. So I have a feeling this episode is going to be a really good one. I hope it is. And if if not, the books are still going to be really good ones. <laughs> so let's start off with a buddy read. Yeah. Um, so this was an Oprah's book club pick. And this was the infamous The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois by Honoré Fanon Jeffers. And interestingly, I've known it to be pronounced Du Bois, but the audiobook said Du Bois. So we're going with that. Yeah, I actually looked into why. Um, and Du Bois is obviously the French pronunciation, but W E B Du Bois 
himself was a black African-American man. So his name was anglicized. Um, so that's how history has remembered him. Hence, mm. do voice. Um, and the book is absolutely huge oh at 719 pages long. And Honoré Jeffers has called it a black feminist novel and a work of historical fiction, which we'll get onto more in a bit more detail shortly. But it starts really interesting with a family tree, which spans across almost three pages. And you know what? Well, a lot of that family tree isn't actually relevant. I think relevant. it's just showing the sort of passing of time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's very intimidating. I remember I, at first I weighed it because it was so heavy to hold. and um, It comes in at 769 grams. And that was a proof copy that was a paperback version. I'm sure oh, the hardback yes. is like a I didn't even think about that. Cement. It's um, funny. And it's well, it was just scary to hold and be like, well, oh. and already I was like, oh my God, three pages of family tree. What am I getting into here? Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's funny because I know when Honoré Jeffers went to write this book, her intention was for it to be a short story. What a fucking joker. <laughs> How does that happen? You go to write a short story and actually it's longer than most ordinary stories. I know. <laughs> because I guess she is a poet um by trade and this is her first say. yeah and this was her first novel and so I think she wanted to just slightly dip her toe in and was like I'll just cre- I'll just and do a short story and she drowned <laughs> yeah <laughs> so just yeah the toe, whoops here I go <laughs> I know where that happens um, so yeah it's weighty in all senses of the word um so I'll drop the synop a breathtaking and ambitious debut novel that chronicles the journey of multiple generations of one American family from the centuries of the colonial slave trade through the Civil War to our own tumultuous era by prize-winning poet Honoré Fanon Jeffers. The great scholar W.E.B. Du Bois once wrote that the problem of race in America and what he called double consciousness, a sensitivity that every African-American possesses in order to survive. Since childhood, Ailey Pearl Garfield has understood Du Bois's work all too well. Ailey grows up in the north in the city, but spends summers in the small Georgia town of Chickasetta, where her mother's family has lived since their ancestors arrived from Africa in bondage. From an early age, Ailey fights a battle for longing and belonging that's that's made all the more difficult by a hovering trauma, as well as the whispers of women by her mother, Belle, her sister, Lynn, Lydia and a maternal line reaching back two centuries that urge her to succeed in their stead. To come to terms with her own identity, Ailey embarks on a journey through her family's past, uncovering the shocking tales of generations of ancestors, Indigenous, Black and White, in the Deep South. In doing so, she must learn to embrace her full heritage, a legacy of oppression and resistance, bondage and independence, cruelty, resilience and the song of America itself. I mean, we've got a long synop there for a long book. But what I have to say is that it is surprisingly readable. So readable. And we're not huge fans of um, historical fiction. So don't be put off by the size of it at all. Um, I actually really loved how the story covered multiple generations of the same family. So as it's said in the synop, Ailey is the protagonist and you follow her life in from the ages of about five through to adulthood. But then 
the chapters are interspersed with her research into her own family's history. So you're taken to this fictional town called Chickasetta in Georgia, where generations of her family have been enslaved by this very evil man called Samuel Pinchard, who in the run up to the American Civil War raped then enslaved black people. And that's sort of the roots of her her family, really. Yeah, maybe that's a good point here to to just let everyone know about the content warnings in this book. Yeah. It is horrific. Yeah. Um, so tread carefully if yeah. um, you know if you'd be affected by rape sexual assault, and sexual rape assault, yeah, and slave pedophilia. Yeah, um, all every, of all of the triggers, everything, all of the triggers. <laughs> just tread lightly when you read this book, but that's not to say that it isn't yeah. done really carefully and really um, movingly. Yeah. Although, actually, I've just I need to talk to you about this because we haven't ever spoke about it, and I think about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Loads of people have been like crying at this book, and I didn't cry. And and even when like really sad things happened, like yeah. when I read Young Mungo. I didn't cry. Like, I, I think I only cry at, like, feel-good books. Just, mm. just, it just makes sense. Do you do cry? <laughs> I have cried. I don't really cry at books either. I think, I can't remember the last one I cried at, but it was one that actually kind of took me by surprise. And I was like, why am I crying about this? Right. Um, but, yeah, this one I just felt, it's a different kind of sadness. It's like yeah. you feel really heavy. Yeah. And but quite... Not- but not cry it's just like oh my god I need to just like get some fresh air yeah yeah I need to like take a break I need to digest this it's like a physical emotion that you feel when you read when I certainly read yeah emotive books that's good to know that I'm not the only one who didn't cry (laughs) yeah and that just does it makes me think if I read a little life would I cry but it also makes me angry these books make me angry because they are real and you know slavery is very much a you know a a tragedy that has that black people have suffered from so it makes me angry more than sad maybe that clouds the sadness yeah yeah good one um anyway (laughs) (laughs) we digress we digress I want to take so after I read lifted this heavy book up to read it got past (laughs) three pages worth of family tree I had to reread the first chapter like three times. And I texted yeah. Lauren like, oh. I remember I was like, Lauren, I don't think I can get into this. And I don't know what the word is, but like, it's a bit whimsical. Yeah. It's quite, it's dreamlike and you're not a yeah. big fan of dreams. I'm, I don't do dreams. Um, And yeah, it really took me a while. And then I was so glad to finally meet Ailey. Yeah. Like get on. <laughs> I was like, that. okay, this is where we're at. Okay, yeah, cool. Like, fuck. When Ailey came in, I then like couldn't put it down and like read. Yeah. It took me like so long to read that first bit. And then I read like 50 pages of Ailey's bit in one go and was like, oh, okay, fine. So yeah. don't be put off by the whimsy of <laughs> of when we first are in this fictional town. Yeah, because um, it starts with uh the indigenous culture. Yeah. Um, which is very like rooted in um the moon and yeah you know sort of ancient traditions and cultures so you might believe you might think that that's what it's going to be like for the whole book but it's no it just starts you at the very beginning really yeah yeah it sort of starts with like almost the beginning of time for like 
this specific story but like mm. it's been really the beginning of time yeah exactly yeah um and let's talk about the real star of this book which is uncle root uncle root the <laughs> best character of the book oh my god absolutely and i knew he was going to be your favorite character just because he was an old man really? um and when i think back now he played a really important role in the book because not only is his cat like his relationship with Ailey just so beautiful. Um, I actually thought that well, Uncle Root talks a lot about W. E. B. Du Bois, and mm. he like very much worships him as though he's still a living, talking person and he sort of retells stories to Ailey about this one random moment where he actually met him and it was an encounter that changed his life and so the story is very emblematic of what happens following that meeting he had with Du Bois and why the whole book is actually named (laughs) the love stories um, of W.E.B. Du Bois and his works are referenced throughout the book um, so they act as a bit of a metaphor for black history and the black experience. So true and maybe we should also say that those who aren't familiar with W.E.B. Du Bois, Mm. that's a wordy word, wordy name to say, Um, he was the greatest African-American intellectual of the 19th and 20th century. He was a writer um, teacher, sociologist, activist, and his work transformed the way that the lives of black citizens were seen in American society. Mm. So his words appear in certain parts of the book, and it's like particularly after a section that's been quite heavy. Yeah. And they they just sort of like connect the events that have taken place. Yeah. Yeah. They? yeah. They're very metaphorical of what's like just bringing it to life and really you know even though the events that are happening today are still very relevant to his work which was you know from the 19th century which is yeah very sad um so god we could talk about this book all day um but I'm in complete awe of how um the author has written such a complex masterpiece and it genuinely is a masterpiece and I don't know if you read the acknowledgments Jess And I'm sure you did. But I just found it fascinating to learn about her research process for the book. Honoré has essentially dedicated a vast majority of her life to researching Du Bois. And she's read all of his books, essays, archives of his letters from when he was a scholar, as well as all of the biographies that have been written about him at least five times. (sighs) I mean, it's a work. I'm of sorry, art. but you don't do all of that if you're just going in to write a short story. <laughs> but I think she sort of says how she went to um, a university that is very much like, I think it's Spellman that's okay. in the book, which is um, a university for black people um, and rooted in black culture. So she's, she said in the acknowledgements, like her whole. Um, educational journey has been rooted in the works of Du Bois so she's sort of grown up learning him and Um, over the years just become more and more fascinated and inspired by what he's done yeah um I'm gonna jump in to say that um every single time we talk about historical fiction book we say we don't like historical fiction and then we keep talking about them so we should probably stop saying that and that also we've just now talked about a lot of historical not fiction (laughs) 
real life um and I just want to if there's anyone out there like me in particular who likes to read about books with siblings this is a really good one because we meet Ailey and her sisters and yeah we find a lot about their upbringing and their family and their aunt and that their whole sort of family network and also like um as they grow up so we meet Ailey when she's quite a young child and we see her grow up and her older sister has a, a drug addiction that sort of moves along throughout the book and it's really mm. devastating and then Ailey goes off to to college and we meet her there and like it's it's a character driven book if that wasn't clear but yeah. also like so great for family and becomes mod like it's quite a love story parts too. and yeah like it's it's I don't, I don't even think historical fiction does it justice because it actually fits into so many genres so many genres well she also says it's a work of black feminist fiction as well yes. so it can, it ticks a yeah. lot of boxes and there's a love story there's multiple love stories yeah. um so there is literally something for everyone and it's just set through the lens lens of history yeah god it's there's just so much to say about this book. so much to say and so little time so what we'll say is read it um it's a five star reco yeah and it's out in paperback fun (laughs) and the cover's really pretty and pink yes and probably still 796 grams so get weightlifting go (laughs) um okay the next book that i want to talk about um is we are not like them it comes out in paperback on the 7th of july 2022 so not long to go and it is written by christine pride and joe piazza oh two authors That's like the club, which I mentioned in our recent episode, Reese's Book Club, Revisited. Yeah, and you loved that. So I think there's something to be said for books written by multiple people. Two brains, two creatives and all that, you know. Two brains better than one. Mm -hmm. Well, we're also not examples of how a great, we are also examples of how a great duo can be. Do you know what I mean? Um, But this duo is particularly interesting because it's a book about two best friends one is white and one is black and these authors are one is one is white one is black Ah, and that's that's relevant to the plot which I will share with you now Um, and actually when I shared a picture of the blurb on our Instagram stories when I read it everyone went fucking nuts and rightly so here we go Riley and Jen have been best friends since they were children and they thought that their bond was unbreakable. It never mattered to them that Riley is black and Jen is white. And then Jen's husband, a Philadelphia police officer, is involved in the shooting of an unarmed black teenager and everything changes in an instant. This one act could destroy more than just Riley and Jen's friendship. As their community takes sides, so must Jen and Riley. And for the first time in their lives, the lifelong friends find themselves on opposing sides. But can anyone win a fight like this? We Are Not Like Them is about friendship and love. It's about prejudice and betrayal. And it's about standing up for what you believe in, no matter the cost. That sounds amazing. It is. And my only gripe is that it's like literally just 300 pages. And oh I, would God. Have, I would have loved to have read more and be able to go even deeper than it does. Yeah. Um, but it did do a very good job in the short amount of pages that it has. Um, and I just realized what the blurb doesn't say is that um, Riley's job is a reporter. And she, okay. she she really wants to like become a 
primetime television news reporter. Okay. And as the black news reader, she gets past this case to report on. So it's not just that yeah. um, Jen's white husband shot an unarmed black boy and that her best friend is black. Her best friend is black and is reporting on the case. God, yeah. that is so complicated, isn't it? Yeah, there are a lot of emotions in this one. I wonder how they went about writing that as well. Well, in the back of the book is a Q&A with them both. Love that. Yeah. And actually they had, um, I've forgotten which way around it is, and I won't bore you while I flick through pages, but one of them helped the other write their first book. So they'd already worked together, but it was under the title of just one of them. And then they were like, oh, we're a really good team. Team. Should we do this? And then wrote this one. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Love that. Absolutely love that. And it's just so cleverly done. Like... So Jen is pregnant with um, a baby. <laughs> really? <laughs> else. A tomato. Um, yeah. So she's obviously, she's devastated that a young, I think he's actually the opening scene. I'm sorry, I'm going to make a messy sentence here. It, the opening scene is from the perspective of the young boy that's just been shot. Oh God. And it's horrible. <sighs> he's like trying to reach for his phone to like call his mum. Like, did that make you cry? No, clearly I'm made of stone. <coughs> no, but it was like jarring. I was like, oh, because yeah. at first I thought, oh, is this like Riley or Jen? I've heard their names from the blurb. And was like, oh my God, God, this is so awful. Mm. And then um, you meet the two friends in a bar and it's like been a while since they've seen each other. Jen is pregnant and with her white husband's baby. And so when she then finds out this news from her husband, like you feel for Jen because she's about to have a baby with a man mm-hmm. who's potentially going to prison, but also what he's done is fucking awful. Yeah. So it's like really weird to have any sympathy Torn, for Jen yeah. or her husband. And her husband is devastated by it as well. But you're like, it, it just feels weird to have any sympathy for them. Yeah. Like, no, what you did was unforgivable. Inexcusable. Yeah. And then we meet Riley. And like it flits between the two, as you'd imagine. And we also hear about their upbringing and how like Jen used to always hang out at Riley's house and like, no, like thinks that Riley's grandma is almost like her own grandma as well. Mm. So her grandma's like, Riley would never do this. Like um, Jen would never do this. And it's just a really nice that you can see that they have literally grown up together and like feel the devastation of their friendship yeah. being pulled apart. Um, and yeah, like so readable. Uh, this was when I had COVID and I was doing like a book a day because I have nothing else to show. <laughs> but I think I would do that with this book anyway because I'm like, yeah. you're, you're so intrigued. And and then like th- later on in the book, there's like a scene in like the where Jen meets the mother of the oh, boy. The and yeah, it's um really good book. Really good book. Um, Damn. Yeah, really gorgeous cover. And the paperback is a pink version again. Oh, like the other one. Oh, and so timely as well, given what's happening in America at the moment. Yeah. Um, oh, God, I wish I'd read it now so that we could have brought both of them on the podcast. How cool would that have been? I would have, I'd love to speak to both of them about oh it. Oh, my God. We would have had such a jolly chin bag. Field as a day. Yeah. It would have been, right. out, it would have been noisy. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, I'm, yeah, I've got FOMO that you've read that. 
well yeah mm. exactly so I'm going to bring the, ne- the book that I'm going to bring to this discussion is Wish You Were Here by Jodie Pickle, which comes out in paperback, paperback in August. Ooh. And I read this in December, I think, last year. And we we love a bit of Jodie P. We do. We loved Small Great Things. So yeah. I'm excited to hear about this one. Yeah, and I also loved The Book of Two Ways last year or the year before as well. And um, So here's the blurb. It's Friday the 13th and Diana is an ambitious young appraiser at Sotheby's in New York. She's about to go on a long-awaited holiday where she knows Finn, her surgeon boyfriend, will propose and the next stage of her life, carely planned, her carely planned life will begin. But it is Friday the 13th of March 2020. The new virus hits, Finn can't leave the city and suggests she goes without him. In the Galapagos, unable to get back to her real life, Diana learns about the devastation hitting the world as she hears intermittently from her boyfriend. She's discovering a new side to herself and a new kind of life when everything changes. Oh God, how is it reading a book that sounds entirely about the pandemic? Um, You know what? I thought it might touch a little too close to home, but it was actually just the perfect balance. I think we all kind of just have to accept that the pandemic is also something that's now going to be a part of, well, it's obviously a firm part of history and it's most likely going to be in referenced in some way, shape or form in many of the new books that we will be reading. And if it isn't, then it's, I think, a conscious decision from the author to purposely not mention it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you have to go one way or the other. Yeah. Um, So for me, it was the perfect balance. It sort of really, it was a reminder and it just really struck home that while we were all stuck at home making banana bread, there were lots of emergency workers, doctors and nurses who were on the front lines of the virus and the pandemic. And their experience was very different to ours. Uh, So yeah, Diana's partner is a surgeon. And at the beginning of the book, they're about to go away, but they can't because the virus starts taking hold of New York and and he's called to work. And it's at the stage where everyone thought, you know, this would probably last about one month tops, but of course that didn't happen. So Diana ends up going to the Galapagos on her own and she gets stranded there in a country that is just about to go to lockdown so she literally arrives and then they close the borders so she physically can't leave and her luggage got lost somewhere along the way so she's got no belongings she doesn't speak the language she's in a foreign country and knows absolutely no one and also she's on an island where there is like minimal phone reception so she can't like really stay on top of the news or like call her boyfriend to let him know how she's getting on so it's quite it's quite it's very isolating yeah talk about self-isolation um I have to say when I used to work for a conservation charity they did some work in the Galapagos and I really wanted to go oh it looks dreamy it's like destination yeah um, but um, maybe you haven't sold it to me now with like no phone <laughs> reception. I mean, I still want to go. Like she, like it's really like the the writing's very vivid in true Jodie Pickout style. Like it just sounds like the most beautiful destination, and she like describes all the wildlife and these this very untouched area and Diana like goes on a run along the beach every morning and it's just completely beautiful um but then obviously while she's there with nothing else to do like no phone reception 
notebooks nothing there's there's no alternative for her but to like just be stuck in her own brain and she starts to like reflect on her life possibly like for the first time really and like starts to come to terms with like what's really important to her and I won't say anything else because I don't want to give away any spoilers because there are a, uh, there's a few unexpected twists that you will absolutely not see coming and it's not it's not all that it seems it's quite oh I don't I don't want to spoil it so yeah it's it's quite wild but I loved it I gave it five stars oh okay yeah she, I mean she is great and I actually want to read more of her older books yeah same like there's one um I nearly bought it at the South Bank book market but Ooh. for some reason didn't I think because you know when you're just buying one book that's a pound and you're like it feels silly to buy on cards <laughs> Um, but I didn't have a coin and it was 19 minutes which oh yes about the school shooter yeah my friend goes on about that book all the time yeah it might be too devastating to read given recent events yeah but maybe I mean I mean how fucking sad that it was written like this was her one of her very early books like maybe third or yeah fourth or something and and it's still bullshit still happening yeah um but I'm sure in true Jodie Pickard style it's done very well yeah yeah totally so maybe I need to get on that I think I think maybe you do and maybe we need a Jodie Pickard episode good one if you've got any faves maybe we'll do a question box on the day of this episode drop in what your fave Jodie Pickard reads are and Perhaps they'll make up their way onto the TBR and a dedicated episode. Good one. one. Love it. Um, okay. So they were the three mainies. That's a yes. good <laughs> Um And also I've just, ke- I keep seeing more books that we've talked about before coming out in paperback soon. Hit us. Um, so going to chuck some at you. One of them is We Need to Talk About Money by Otega Wagba. We have Shit. a whole podcast yes. episode talking about that book. And that comes out in paperback on the 8th of July. Oh, oh my God, that is such a banging book. Um, you, we've also got Underbelly by Anna Whitehouse, a.k.a. Mother Pucker, which comes out in paperback on the 21st of July. And we spoke about that one in a recent Buddy Reads episode, along with Song of Achilles and Freckles. So many great recos in that one, too. Many great recos. I loved Freckles. I still think about it all the time and how I want to maybe be a traffic warden. <laughs> Um, or a parking order. I can't say that I do. Yeah, but, but it was really. Book. She really made it sound like a good career. <laughs> yeah. um, she really troubles. She really sold it. She really did sell it to me. The Troubles with Us by Alex O'Neill is a fabulous memoir about growing up in Northern Ireland, and that came out in paper back in June. So off you go. We talked about that one in a really fucking busy episode. Yeah, it was um, mental. Our first recent book club one, where we yeah. also talked about the book Northern Spy. And so and Flynn Berry. Yeah, we all interviewed her. Um, so yeah, it's such a good memoir. Really nostalgic, even if you didn't grow up there. Yeah. And another one to have on your radar is Beautiful World, Where Are You? by Sally Rooney, which is our most ever listened to podcast episode. It doesn't, it just keeps it just growing. Keeps growing. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, what bullshit did I come out with in that one that all these people have now listened to? 
Maybe yeah, we should put that episode on stories as well for anyone who hasn't listened. Clearly, we did something good in that episode because it's... I think just the name Sally Rouge. <laughs> sells itself, That's out it? in paperback now already. Um, so it's a good time for the PBs. Um, <laughs> Personal best paperbacks. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> off it. you go. Go and buy them. Let us know if you do buy any of them. Um, and let us know how you find each of these if you read any of these, particularly the Voice. Yes. And as always, there will be links in the show notes where you can buy these books from an independent bookshop. Uh, so there, crack on. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, then like, subscribe, leave a rating and review. It costs you nothing, but it genuinely means the world to us. And you could always share the podcast with your reading buddy too. They'd absolutely love it. <laughs> and if you don't already, follow us on Instagram for, funnily enough, more book crackers. See you next week. We'll be here. <laughs>